0: Welcome back to another episode of the Broad Body Health and Fitness Podcast. Joining me again today for a second time on the show, but with a different last name, Megan Sakospina. Megan is a doctor of physical therapy, athletic trainer, and strength and conditioning coach. She is doing so many incredible things in the field of PT. Today, Megan and I are going to be discussing injury and movement and the language that we use around it and how we approach it and so much more we kind of put the traditional PT model on the back burner and kind of propose some new things that we think would benefit people more. So, you know, this might come as a surprise to you, but we are not big fans of hot pack, ultrasound, massage, and, you know, 50-minute passive treatment session. Uh, We think that there might be a better way to do it. And that's kind of what we discussed today in the show. It's a great episode, great listen. And as always, all of our episodes in season five are brought to you by ISOFIT, my go-to for all things isometric strength training. For more on ISOFIT, you can check the description below. Enjoy. Megan, welcome back to the podcast. So much has changed since I last saw you and chatted with you. I'm excited to have you back on.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat and catch up. I don't even remember when the last time was. I feel like it was like maybe right after PT school, or maybe right before I was done. I don't even was it January? I don't remember.
0: I think it was like fall of 22. It's been over a okay. year. It's... Okay, so it
1: was it was before PT school it was over then, before I yeah. graduated. Wow, yeah. yeah, a lot has changed. <laughs> letters, letters behind the name, last name has changed. It, Career. I was like taking a different direction a little bit, so wild.
0: It's amazing how much can change in a year, but for people yeah. who maybe haven't kept up to date with you, or maybe they don't follow you on Instagram, which is a huge mistake on their part, <laughs> would you mind filling them in a little bit about all the amazing things that you do day after day?
1: Thank you very much. Talking me up a little too high. I think there, But um, yeah, so my name is Megan, Megan Austina. I am a doctor, physical therapy, and a strength and conditioning coach. Um, I primarily work with people virtually, uh, which was not my original plan when I went back to PT school. Um, previously, I had become an athletic trainer, um, which was my master's degree, and then decided to go back to school, wanted to be a PT, uh, and during school, I started doing, um, like, started, I was a strength conditioning coach already as well, so I started doing some, like, a little bit of, like, online programming coaching, um, just to kind of, you know, pay some bills on my own, because school is very expensive. Uh, And while I was doing that, I was sort of, you know, just growing my social media. Um, Instagram is primarily what I use. And then, um, you know, graduated PT school, took a job with the last company that I had had my rotation with. And then just my online coaching just sort of exploded like earlier on this year in 2023. So, um, decided to go off on my own completely and do primarily online coaching and started a cash practice in person. Um, that was actually my original goal um, was to have like a cash, like out of network practice, physical therapy in person, purely in person. Um, that was my original goal. I went back to school and then, you know, the whole online thing just Sort of that opportunity popped up and it just made sense um, because I'm I'm very comfortable with like the online world um, just because I've had a little bit of experience in it. I'm obviously learning as I go, like we all are. But um, yeah, so that's that's what I'm doing right now.
0: It's amazing to see what you've built and all that you are doing, Megan. And it's one of those things, by definition, you're a physical therapist, but in a lot of ways, you're kind of taking that and making it your own. You know, Not a whole lot of PTs are working primarily with individuals virtually or online, but you are. I'm assuming that you work with some individuals online, or maybe they're seeking you out because they have an injury, or maybe they've had an injury in the past, and they're struggling to come back from that
1: yeah so with the online thing obviously you know we can't call it quote-unquote physical therapy because I'm not licensed everywhere that people exist and some of my clients aren't even in the United States um but primarily the people that you know want to work with me and I know other plenty of other coaches actually that are doing the same thing just because I'm like in that world so it's you know I meet other people that are doing it um so yeah usually there are people who either are you know, feel like they've been kind of just re-sidelined by the same injury over and over and like traditional, the traditional model PT hasn't really helped them. Um, Or maybe, you know, they don't even have an injury. They're just trying to like get stronger and like want to understand a little bit more from like a deeper level. Um, And so I would say that's the majority of my clients. I work with a lot of women postpartum as well that are, you know, trying to like rebuild uh, uh, their body essentially after, after all that it's gone through with pregnancy. Um, those are some of my favorite clients to work with, honestly, because I feel like our system really fails women when it comes to, you know, most things, but especially postpartum. I think it's, you know, we're definitely lacking in that area. So, yeah, it's it's been really great. And it's cool to be able to reach people, you know, from across the globe, honestly. Um, obviously, there's limitations with online as well. And, you know, there's, there's always that to be said. So sometimes if someone's not appropriate for virtual, they would just benefit more from in person. I know people all over the place. Um, and if I don't know someone, someone else that I respect um, and think highly of, to know someone that can refer to that person's area. So that's what's cool about the online space is like, you know, the six degrees of the six degrees of separation really starts to starts to come into play, um, and you can really just you can help people a lot easier. I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I love that point. You know, it's, it's hard to believe that a traditional PT model that sees three plus patients an hour and features a heavy use of modalities, hot packs, cold packs, and some basic stretching and table exercises. It's hard to believe that that would fail people and, I know to, you know, re injure or things flare up. Um, I can't imagine. Um, yeah. yeah right. it's, it's one of those things. I see that far commonly, far too common myself. and it's weird seeing people who have been in PT for four, five, six months, and there's no progression. Um, mm-hmm. so I think this is an area where the industry as a whole could do better. But until that happens, I feel like this is a prime spot for someone like you who has that knowledge, but someone's not really in a, quote unquote, traditional, PT setting, right? This is not an acute injury. This is something that's happened a long time ago. They need to get training and loading heavier uh, to actually get a handle on it, but they don't know how, and unfortunately, the majority of clinicians don't know how to equip that patient to do so.
1: Yeah, they don't, and this the worst part is, like, I feel like a lot of people don't even really understand what PT is, sometimes because they've been to a PT and the PT sucked. Other times, just because, like, we don't Like, if you've never even been to PT, you just think it is, like, just, like, stretches or, like, they, you know, the PT stretches you all day or whatever. makes you feel better. It's, like, massage, you know, and it's not like that. PTs are coaches. Like, literally, we are coaches with doctorates who teach people how to move, which, you know, movement could fix so many of our problems. Like, not only, like, the physical, like, musculoskeletal problems, but, like, the, you know, diseases, the chronic diseases that we all suffered with, like, as a country, like, diabetes, you know, heart disease, things like that, like. Exercise is the solution, so I think I I hope that things are going to change and that you know people's eyes are going to be opened as to like what the benefits of this movement and like having the accessibility to like a physical therapist even online, um, in more of like a consult consultatory consultative what's the word consultation oh, yeah. setting. <laughs> yes. um, I think that that is is going to be pretty pivotal. Um, for the physical therapy industry, at least, because, I mean, just like how, you know, insurance really runs the show for most physical therapy practices and people are, they're forced to see that many people an hour because they don't get any money from their, from their patients. You know, and you're like, have a family to feed, like you're kind of just stuck in this weird, um, sort of no one wins at once and the patients are all being seen at once and then no one wins.
0: Yeah. You know? So no, the insurance you're company, up. they win. are absolutely right. No one wins in that model and injuries which should have gotten handled and addressed early on, suddenly become something that plagues someone for a long period of time. And instead of just occurring, you know, acutely and we get it better and we teach someone how to go back to what they want to do uh, while keeping that tissue injury in mind, uh, it instead causes this like downward spiral of just reflare up over and over and over again. And it's very difficult to get people to break that cycle. I mean, when I hear injury, at least for my own standard and definition, it essentially boils down to the fact that the load put on a tissue exceeded its capability or capacity to absorb or, you know, take that load for lack of a better way to put it. Um, Do you see the similar cycle of just downward spiral effect from injury? And I mean, what do you think really causes the injury to occur in the first place? And what else should people know about injuries that they're facing?
1: Yeah, no, I couldn't have said it better myself. Like an injury is comes when a tissue is, I say, asked or demand it is demanded to be doing something that it's not prepared to do. Whether that is, you know, acutely like maybe you pivot like weird once on the field and your ACL you know tears or whatever, Um, or you know maybe you just don't move very well or you have poor mobility and you're doing bench press for a long time and your shoulder eventually starts to hurt. Um, and there's no like pinpoint time when it happens, but it's just that you are demanding more of the tissue than what it was supposed to be doing. Um, and then I think the issue is that a lot of the times the solution is to, you know, rest, like let it, let it calm down, which obviously if you don't use the area. It's not gonna hurt, right? So you might think that it's better. Um, and there are times for sure, there are times when rest is necessary, you know, like a fracture or like post-operative, those kinds of things when you need, like, you need time to like, let that tissue just sort of, um, heal acutely. But for the most part, like it is like, it's a load management thing. So just like with, if you were going to try to go get stronger in the gym, like progressive overload, like loading over time slowly. So your body has time to, you know, break down a little bit and then adapt, break down a little bit and then adapt. That's the same thing. Rehab is the same. You're just starting from a different floor right? Like training, I think of is like, you know, they're closer to the ceiling. Rehab, you're closer to the floor. So someone's, you know, their capacity is within all of that. When you get to the ceiling, you're able to, you know, you're like pushing almost to your limit, but you you have like your one weakest link and that's the injured tissue. And that's what's going to keep you kind of in this like floor area. So you have to build up from there. You can't build down from the ceiling. Does that make sense?
0: It does. I love the floor and ceiling analogy that you just laid out. And I I kind of say it's similar. There's level one and there's level 100. And if our goal is to get to level 100 and we have someone at level one, first mm-hmm. off, we have to know what level one looks like. And second, we have to have a progression in mind to take them from where they are to where they want to be. So mm-hmm. I love your definition of injury. And I love the breakdown that you just gave about the importance of progressing someone back over time. And to your point, you know, rest more often than not is not the answer anymore. Um, You know, I think of a lot of the people I see after ACL surgery and we're getting them going 16 hours after surgery. Like we're Mm -hmm. not waiting that long, that whole acute phase of rest and protect it for a week. um, That's kind of going to the wayside. And I think it's for good reason. Um, You know, if we don't start moving things early and start reintroducing movement early, it becomes very, very difficult to get it back and to just stop and think about how difficult it would be to have someone who maybe went two, three or even four weeks in that protection phase, whether it's post-op or just acute injury. I mean, it's it's a very uphill battle to get them back to where they want to be.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, even that, like, that's what is so important about getting in so quickly to PT, especially post-op, because you can, if you can't move things actively, you can usually move them passively, you know, and that's like what a skilled physical therapist can do. And then isometrics, like you can always do, you know, like muscle settings, like even the simplest things, like those can always be done. But there's, like you said, there's a lot of, um, like, I think we're kind of realizing, like, we're not as fragile as, as we once were thought to be. And like, you can do a, a cute post-op that we we wouldn't have thought that you could do before for sure um the other thing I was going to say is that a lot of times people are not even especially with like chronic things or with acute things like they're not considering nutrition or like the overall allostatic load of like the rest of their stress stressors in their life so like are they sleeping like shit are they eating like shit are they super stressed out of their mind with work are they you know are their kids driving them crazy like there's all these other factors that are going to affect your ability to recover from like the physical stress uh and whether that's like training and like trying to get better in the gym or whether it's like trying to, you know, recover from an injury because they're the same thing just you you know, slightly framed slightly differently in our brains, I guess. Like one is more, I guess, not positive, but just, you know, you're not as irritated that you're training as you are, you know, in, injured, in an injured situation, but yeah
0: it creates this hypothetical situation of why the injury occurred. You know, As you mentioned, a lot of times we think it's acute and just happens all at once, things rupture, things break, things snap, um, but maybe it's actually more of a traumatic stress type element. Maybe we never gave the tissue a chance to recover um, from a sleep standpoint or didn't give it the building blocks that we need to rebuild tissue uh, after we inflamed it during exercise. So a nutrition standpoint, Or maybe it's just a misload issue, or maybe it's how we move that's putting too much load in a certain area and not Mm -hmm. a acute rupture. It's we've been doing that over and over and over again for a long period of time. And eventually, instead of bending, things break.
1: Yeah. Speaking of which, we could talk about mobility (laughs) and strength training and mobility and things like that. Because I just, I was inspired by what you just said, like, you know, if you... Like people think like lifting makes you tight or yeah. immobile um like lifting in a limited range of motion or existing in a limited range of motion makes you tight and immobile like that's you know it's the same same concept you're just loading things heavier but you know one of the best ways to get allow things to bend instead of break is to literally train them to bend instead of break you know incrementally getting your body used to those kind of ex- extreme ranges you know something is extreme. Like by definition I think of it as you know it's abnormal it's out of it's out of what you're expected to be doing versus if you're you know regularly going to that area under control in a controlled setting um over time like it's not gonna alarm the system as much as if, if you wind up there like on the field or things like that
0: so you mean instead of avoiding positions we should actually like train them
1: yeah it's not
0: weird H- shocking um it's like I- it's
1: so counterintuitive but yes
0: it's almost like everything that they teach you about injuries from fifty to a hundred years ago needs like a whole like refresh or like a yes. new framework almost.
1: Like completely wipe it and let's let's just talk about it differently, basically. Yeah,
0: yeah. let's let's completely start over. No, I yeah. I love that approach. I love what you just laid out, Megan. Is To your point, instead of avoiding positions over and over and over again, let's actually increase tolerance and increase our capacity to move in that position. And I think you're the queen of progressions, regressions when it comes to that. I mean, you're super creative in the things that you think of and how to do that, whether it be an end range or incorporating different types of equipment in and so on that way. So I love where your head is at in regards to... Um, you know, how we should train around injury.
1: Thank you, I appreciate that.
0: You know, as we kind of alluded to, I think that there's a big misunderstanding around injury. And as we kind of outlined, it's one thing to know and understand an injury. But at the end of the day, we're not treating injuries. We're not treating diagnoses. We're treating people. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something that a lot of PTs, strength coaches, I'll throw ATs and Kairos, I'll throw everyone in the mix. We're just going to throw everyone under the bus, myself included. We kind of forget that we're treating a person sometimes and we kind of focus solely on the diagnosis. And I think as a result, the language that we use uh, kind of gets lost in the shuffle. You know, we start talking about the injury, we start talking about all these different sciency terms, because we know our shit, apparently. Uh, right. And then we forget that the person in front of us is in tears, because they literally just had a crazy thing happen to them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or we don't think about like, what the implications of this injury are, you know, to them, psychologically, like, yes, maybe they are in pain, but also like, it affects you know their ability to go and you know play with their kids or go like to the gym for mental and physical health you know so it's it's like always a lot deeper than just like oh my knee hurts you know and it's also I think I try really hard to like explain to my patients first of all how pain works like I think that's becoming pretty normal for you know most PTs to talk about like pain science and like sort of like how pain is you know it's your I don't remember who said this, Laura Mosley, maybe, not sure if that's correct. Um, But like pain is a request for change. You know, it's your brain being like, hey, hey, like this isn't good. Like, can we not do this? You know, like I'm, I'm worried, this is dangerous. You know, that's basically all it is. Um, And that may because it is actually dangerous and there is actually damage. Like maybe you just stuck your hand on a hot like pan and you're burned down. Or maybe it's like, You know, you were injured at one point, and so you're automatically just like on high alert, and so you'll feel pain that doesn't even indicate that there's any kind of damage. You know, because that's totally a thing too, especially with like chronic stuff. Chronic, chronic stuff and chronic, chronic pain is so complicated because it's like there's so many layers, like physically and emotionally and mentally, that you have to like kind of uncover, and it just it takes so much communication with the person, and it's you got to tread lightly too because you don't want someone to you know, you tell someone that pain is created by your brain and they think you're saying that it's in their head, like they're they're crazy and it's not real, you know? Um, so I think what I try to do is just, you know, educate people on like why things happen and how, you know, you can sort of, you know, give an analogy of something else where, you know, maybe, maybe something that they can relate to in their life where like, there wasn't damage, but like maybe that they, they were a little bit scared and things like that. Um, and then also just pointing out, like little wins, you know, because someone that's in kind of an acute, you know, painful situation, like they're going to have kind of this tunnel vision of like the thing they're scared of the thing that they don't understand. Whereas like, if you can take them in a session, someone that's had back pain for six months, take them in one session and have them be able to like deadlift something off the floor with zero pain. Like that's, that's a huge win, you know? And that's like, hey, an indication, like there is a little bit of a glimmer of hope, you know, that we can, we can work this up to, to a better tolerance um and that's like honestly my favorite part of the job is being able to like give someone that like that autonomy of their own body again because I think a lot of the time people that are especially people that are in pain for a long time they're they're scared like they're literally scared in their home their house their body and that's what you exist in your life like that's that's where you are your whole life you know and if you don't feel safe there like that's gonna have such so many downstream effects
0: yeah definitely definitely you know when you say it that way it sounds like to a certain extent your job involves being a teacher because you're educating your patients so much on what they do and i think that is so missed i think the person in front of you needs to understand what is going on as you mentioned they might be scared they might be uneasy and if they don't know what's going on that's probably going to add insult to injury and it's crazy how many people forget to explain this part. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've worked with someone who, you know, comes to me and they've done PT two, three, four months elsewhere. And I go, what are they treating you for? And they go, well, my knee hurts. I go, what what, what, are, what do you mean? Are we treating like a patellofemoral thing? Are we treating like a movement-based thing? Like what exactly are we working with here? And they, they don't even know what they're working with. So how can you feel comfortable going, you know, weeks, weeks, months, um, paying good money at that for something when you don't even know what's going on. So I think that yeah. the education piece is huge. And as you mentioned, um, I think that ultimately, it seems like you're focused on giving the control back to the patient. You know, you're not trying to run the show, you're trying to give the person in front of you the tools that they need to succeed. It's like, when you're hurt, the locus of control is completely ripped from you. Now you're being told what to do and when to do it by everyone. And you're just flipping that 180 and saying, hey, actually, you're going to do this and you can do this and you can do that. And that's going to empower someone to come back a lot better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, even like the the PTs or not even PTs, like clinicians that'll tell a patient like, oh, like your SI joint's out or, oh my God. It's just just like, okay, that's obviously not something that someone's can fix themselves if that was actually a real thing, which it's not. Um, but that like creates this like, oh, I need to go see you anytime this happens. Like it literally gives them like you're just feeding people fish. You're not teaching them how to fish. And I feel like, you know, you can help people for so much longer and you're gonna get such better results that are more long term if you're able to like, you know, explain to them why like out, like your SI joint out is not really like it feels it can feel that way. You know, and sometimes it's just semantics. Um, but I think, like, we just need to be very careful because we are the ones with the, like, we're the highly educated people that are supposed to be teaching the people who do not have the doctorate in movement about their bodies. And if you can't teach something, like, you don't actually understand it, you know? And if you're telling someone something that's going to not, like, enable them or empower them at all, like, like, why, what are you even doing? Like, why did you want to be in this profession? Because you're not actually helping people at all.
0: Yeah, the model is based on dependency. And we Mm -hmm. want people to depend on us. When in reality, someone like you is more like just out here trying to create strong, independent people day after day. Like, I would love to go in and not have any patients to treat because no one needs me and everyone is independent and knows how to tackle things on their own. Like, that would be a great day for me. Unfortunately, that's not reality. But that's what we're trying to get to, I think, is we need to break this model of dependency. And as you mentioned, it starts by teaching the person in front of you. And you mentioned that you educate them a lot on what I'll call like the background or textbook stuff, the pain science, why um, they have what they have right now, whether that's pain or a movement deficit. And then obviously you teach them what they're going to do about it, but, or what you're going to do about it and help them do about it. But goes more than that it's not just understanding it's actually doing and i think this is an area where you really shine is your ability to coach and cue movement so how do you go about teaching someone exercise and movement um because there's there's a varying level of individuals out there some some have you know exercised their entire life and others have never stepped foot in a gym right
1: yeah it's like my favorite thing ever honestly <laughs> yeah i mean i just think it is this is going to sound maybe bad but like I kind of think of us as like puppeteers you know and our patients are puppets but like not in the sense that like we're we going to control them forever but just like kind of like we can like you know give them the external cues that are necessary to get them to do what they need to be doing with their body you know because I mean some people especially with, with pain or with people that just aren't good movers or maybe they have like you know they were taught how to squat by someone who didn't know how to teach how to do a squat. And then for, you know, 20 years, they're squatting with their shins perpendicular to the ground, which is obviously not a squat, that's a hinge. But anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, like just being able to like give them, give them something to focus on, like external cues that can allow them to, they're not like overthinking the movement, you know? Cause if you give them like, you know, if you're trying to teach something complex, like a deadlift and you're, you know, telling them all the different things that they need to be thinking about at once, like it's, their head's gonna explode, right? Whereas if you can just kind of like piece it together or maybe like start with a a variation that kind of takes care of a couple of the cues just because of the position that you wind up in, like a front loaded, like good morning, that kind of thing, that's a really good one for like teaching a good like stack. Um, but yeah, I mean, and there's, it's always like, there's no perfect algorithm for the human body. Like I tell people all the time, I'm like, I wish, I wish you were like a car and I could just like look under the hood and be like, oh yeah, so this is like, I I don't know cars at all, but. I'm assuming it's a little bit more straightforward because you're like, okay, well, this isn't working. So, and if this isn't working, then you gotta go to this, you know? And it's sort of like that with the human body, but there's so many more layers of complexity because you have like the mental aspect and their experience, like, you know, both their like, you know, fearful experiences, but also just like what sports background do they have? Or like what movement background do they have? Um, and there's there's just always, it's there's never like a perfect like algorithm for it, and which makes it like so so frustrating sometimes but also so rewarding because when you can like finally hit home with someone you know it's pretty cool especially when you can get like really really big results in like you know an hour um which obviously they're not going to be long lasting you got to make those like little deposits every day but it's just cool to be able to give someone back something that they thought they would never have again so
0: exactly exactly and as you mentioned there's not really one right way to coach and train movement and to the list of variables that you mentioned earlier i'll throw in the difference in how people are built right like everyone's structurally so different i'm just thinking of these two guys that i worked with before one was easily six two ish Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the other one was like five seven so naturally they squat very very differently they hinge very differently and they're naturally Mm -hmm. strong at different exercises. So Mm -hmm. I can't coach the two of them the same, just based Mm -hmm. on the way that they're built and structured. And, you know, unless something has changed, I don't think we've found a way to like magically give people an additional like four or five inches of height. Um, If we we do, then someone's going to be filthy rich, but we we almost (laughs) need to understand like the principles under movement and adapt them to the person in front of us instead of trying to go at it as a one size fits all. This is how you squat. This is how you deadlift, period.
1: Yes. Right. No, I completely agree. And also I feel like something else that I've been trying to get better at lately is, you know, like doing like I will demonstrate a movement for someone and then I'm like, okay, your turn. You know, you do it instead of like over coaching them and like just starting assuming that they have no idea what the hell they're doing. Right want to see what their strategy is that you can like feel like be like okay well how much am I gonna have to cue plus like you know does it hurt how does it feel like why you know is it is it bothering you if it doesn't bother you you know there's a lot of different ways that you can accomplish the same same movement there's not like one perfect way like you know you don't have to squat with your legs really narrow you don't have to squat with your legs really wide you can you know different different like deadlifting like form you know like if you were always lifting with a flexed back that's fine lift with a flex back if you're always lifting with a neutral back and then sometimes you flex, that's not ideal. Um, just because, you know, you adapt to load over time and you adapt to things over time and you're not prepared for that, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. But there's so many different ways it's going to cat. And like the whole point of like all of this is that your body is, our bodies are so adaptive, you know? Like whatever you're doing day in and day out, that's, that's what they adapt to. So, you know, someone's movement strategy isn't necessarily wrong just because it doesn't look like someone else's, you know? um so i try to just be you know i think sometimes people go into pt and they feel they leave and they feel like oh my god i'm a shit show like i'm a mess like they feel they feel worse you shouldn't feel worse you should feel like you have hope basically hope and empowerment hope initially and then empowerment later
0: yes exactly exactly i love your approach with the demonstration too, because if you're in a traditional PT setting, or even if you're in a cash-based setting where you get like an hour with a patient one-on-one, you're probably not gonna get everything you want in one session. You're probably gonna need more to look at things. So if you demonstrate a new movement and then watch them do it, let them go for a set. What's it gonna take, 20 to 30 seconds, if that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. at least for me, the question I always come back to is why? right? So if I see, hey, they're more protracted than I would expect, or hey, they're, you know, I want them here. And instead, they're going way back here. It's just a matter of why. Why are they doing that? Why are they in that position? Why is that comfortable to them? Why is that painful? Or why is it pain free? I feel like at, to your point, things are complex. And you just have mm-hmm. to keep peeling back the layers like an onion. And the more you do that, the more you get to uh, understand and appreciate where that individual is and why they are presenting the way they are.
1: Right, yeah, and if something is painful, like that's kind of what we are talking about earlier, like it's say, for example, like you have, you're having shoulder pain with bench press, right? You can like change the variation of bench press, like, you know, figure out why it's hurting, like, you know, maybe you assess, like, are they limited in active or passive range of motion? Do they have like any of their, you know, special tests which take them with a grain of salt, but like, are there, are there things that we can identify that might be the root issue? Um, and then in the meantime, you know, you can address those things with, you know, correctives, and then change, like get them doing a horizontal press that doesn't hurt. Like whether that's like changing the depth, like a block bench or something like that, or like not doing barbell or like changing their grip, um, you know, doing incline or something. Like there's so many different ways that you can still have someone um, like doing a variation of the movement and still getting like a good stimulus to the muscles. Um, and like the joint is still moving without, you know, pissing it off more. Cause I mean, you know, pain doesn't always equal damage like we were talking about before, but obviously it can create like aberrant patterns. If you're like hurting, when you're doing something, you're going to start to like compensate away from it, which is not ideal. Um, so yeah,
0: definitely. You had mentioned a second ago too, about, you know, you want people to feel hopeful and empowered after their session. And for many, I don't feel like that's their PT experience, which It's sad, Um, but I'd imagine making someone feel hopeful and empowered goes beyond just the education and the movement. There's got to be more. It's got to be the tone. It's got to be how you present yourself and your overall energy and enthusiasm levels. And I can tell you love this stuff because you talk about it all the time. So (laughs) I feel like it would be almost natural for the clients that you serve to see that same passion within you.
1: Yeah, I hope so. I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes when people go to PT, it's not even, they don't really feel anything. Like, they don't feel hopeless necessarily. They just kind of go and they're like, okay, well, I'm going to see if it works. You know, it's not like you need to be, you should be within a session feeling that it's working. Like, we should, we should be able to get at least a little bit of like a win during the session. And the next session, you know, you can get a little bit more. But I just think it's really important to, to, for both parties to realize that it's like a, it's a 50, 50 thing. Like I am as the phys- physical therapist, you are coaching and guiding someone, you're educating them. And then as the client, like they have to like put in the work, like you cannot do the work for them. Um, and so I think that's probably, that's probably like the, the biggest difference that I think needs to needs to change for some people is that they're not, you know, as the PT, they're not, they're not making it seem like they're a team with the patient like okay this is the this is the strategy I'm gonna help you understand what's going on and then we're gonna work on this together like I'm guiding you but I can't do the work for you and I think a lot of people go to PT and they're like oh PT didn't work for me but that's because they were just given this like stupid handout of exercises that are I mean they're relevant to like the body part but it's like they're so like discombobulated and not even relevant to like the movement that was hurting them like it you know it's not saying that they're bad but like they're not ever addressing, like, the actual, like, thing, you know? Or, you know, you get people that, you know, if, if back squatting hurts and your physical therapist doesn't know how to do a back squat, like, how the hell are you expecting to get better? Like, first of all, you have to see the movement and be like, okay, well, this is wrong with this. That's why it hurts. And if the, you can't identify that, like, how are you going like, to coach? Like, you just, I don't know. Just doesn't make any sense. Like, there just needs to be, there needs to be different like different types of pts that people can go to for certain things and then you know sometimes the traditional like four patients at a time model can maybe work in very weird cases but i just think it's the majority of people would benefit from like one-on-one care that is actually educating them what, what's going on
0: one-on-one care with someone who is knowledgeable about what they're teaching and instructing, and practices it themselves. Someone who doesn't just talk about it, but actually knows how to do it because they do it themselves, right?
1: Yeah. Or if you don't, then you know it's that's what you have the network for. You know, like I don't do Olympic lifts, like barbell Olympic lifts. Like I can recognize if something is really, really wrong. But like, if you're going to get into the nitty gritty of it, like I'm not. I'm referring out. That's yep. not my realm at all kettlebell stuff all day. But barbell, nope, I don't have any interest in doing it myself. I definitely don't know how to do it myself. And so, you know, I just think as you also as a clinician that like you need to recognize when you, even if it's within your scope, like if it just if you know someone better, like don't gatekeep, you know, like refer like it should be about the patient. It should be about like who the best who the best fit for them is. And that's again goes back to like the having a network thing. Like if you have a great network of clinicians that you trust then you can really truly help people um i think a lot of people are especially like if you're self-employed like they're probably worried like oh i don't want to give up a client you know um but i personally i respect when people that i am going to for help are like yeah that i see i i don't really understand how to do this so i'm going to send you to this person who's way more of an expert um and like i respect them so much more you know because not we can't all know everything you know but you also have to be willing to, to you know put in the work and try to figure things out too because there are scenarios when you know you can just look something up When it comes to something really technical, like Olympic lifting or something like that, I feel like it's a different scenario. But I
0: I love that. And I want to harp on that for a minute. I cannot echo the point of, I I don't want to call it staying in your lane, but recognize your strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'll just throw myself under the bus because I love to do that. (laughs) I have not rehabbed someone after a joint replacement in months maybe even in 2023, I don't know if I've actually, no, I've not taken anyone in 2023 from start to finish for a joint replacement. I don't touch anything related to pelvic conditions. I don't touch TMJ. Um, I think I might've touched one or two wrist hand type things because they were, you know, very high level sport, athletic type things and weird mechanisms and whatnot. But in general, like there's a list of things that I just don't touch And it's not that I can't rehab it. I'm sure I could take a knee replacement from start to finish. I'm sure I could take someone after a shoulder replacement from start to finish. But that's not what I do on the day-to-day. And there's other people who do that every single day. So I, I could do it, but I'm not the best person for it. And by the same token, there's a time when you have to kind of go back and learn things and figure things out. Um, And I've had a number of individuals who were sent to me after meniscus repair surgeries, where they were still having almost the same symptoms, if not worse symptoms after surgery. So then it became a case of, hey, this is the kind of stuff I like. Now I've got to go back and kind of relearn and unpack, like, why are we still having issues, even though things are structurally intact? So I think that to your point, there's certainly a time to send people to a different place, because you can't do everything at the end of the day. But by the same token, you have to recognize when something is your kind of thing, and you've got to dig in deep for it. Because not every case, not every condition, not every person you work with is going to be easy and textbook. Sometimes you have to kind of go back and relearn and reevaluate and put a little bit more timing yourself. But that's what makes this profession so beautiful, in my opinion, is it's never just one thing, simple, uh, straightforward, and clear cut. There's always some kind of curveball that comes in.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I think also it's, it's it's such a tricky subject because, like, yes, I'm the same with, like, the wrist and hand or, like, TMJ. Uh, like, pelvic, I'm more comfortable teaching or um, working with. But, like, you know, anything, like, below the elbow, I'm just like, eh. No, I don't want to like send it to an OT, you know, but at the same time, like the whole body is connected, obviously. And so if you think about it, like we need to, you know, maybe, maybe you're having elbow pain in pushups because of your wrist or, you know, it's everything is like the whole kinetic chain is obviously involved in everything. So in some ways I'm like, yeah, refer out for things areas of the body that you're not interested in working with or that you're not very confident in working with. But on the other hand, you know, maybe, maybe it's just a... a little bit of an imposter syndrome thing, but also just, you know, you have to be able to like think outside the box and be like, okay, well, this is very related to, you know, if you have TMJ problems, it's very connected to neck problems, you know, which is connected to shoulder problems. So, you know, just digging a little bit deeper and, you know, as long as we know more than our patients, then we can usually help people. But yeah, Yeah. so obviously, you know, I just kind of said the opposite of what I said before, but it's just interesting because I'm always like preaching how the body's all connected and it obviously is, but, you know, there's just it's like a black, you know, you think of like certain body parts, as like black boxes that you're like, I don't know how that works. <laughs> Even though, you know, the adjacent joint you'd be completely comfortable with. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And I think at least for me, it's like, we understand how the body works, but there's certain, like, especially post-op things that like, I don't really know where to begin with. Like if you come to me after a hand surgery, like that's going to be me flipping through pages of a book because I haven't done it before. Um, yeah. But if you come to me yeah. after a knee surgery, you know, we're, we're good to go. So, right. um, Yeah. and I think, I think it varies based on the phase of rehab you're in on that note too, right? Like you might not be comfortable working with someone right after a wrist surgery, but if they're, you know, months and months out and they're trying mm-hmm. to get back to handstands, then Hey, maybe Megan is your person for that.
1: Right yes yeah yeah because you obviously wouldn't want to like screw up a surgery or something like that um but yeah it's just it's very interesting I mean in, it's like anything in medicine I feel like people end up, you know you specialize in certain things just because you've seen you've seen the patterns with certain body parts more often even though like no one is everyone's a specialist like obviously um but you know every ACL repair has commonalities. Like there's a spectrum obviously, but you know, everyone's going to like have like one inhibition or things like that, you know? And so you're able to like get those reps in and just makes you more comfortable with things versus like, just be like, know, oh, is this normal? I'm not sure. Cause I've never seen it before.
0: Yep. No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So all of these things that we've discussed are relating to injury and how you treat your patient and how do you approach them are great, but you know, we've talked about them a lot from an in-person standpoint. And you mentioned you also do online work. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's a very growing, booming thing that didn't exist 10, 20 years ago. How do you adapt what you do and change what you do to the online model or the online world?
1: Yeah. So um, a lot, most of the people that I work with online are not like acutely injured. Uh, Maybe they have like a, a niggle that's kind of bothered them for a while, but it's typically not like I just did this, like I need a PT, you know? So that's just, that is a disclaimer. However, sometimes my long-term like performance clients do get injured, like unrelated to our training while we're training. And then, you know, we modify their, their training. But essentially how things work virtually for me is, you know, we'll do the initial, just figure, making sure that we're a good fit for each other. Um typically people, you know, they're looking for someone to coach them, but also someone that has a background and understanding of how to like modify things according to, like limitations or pain and then also just like a way to progress out of it um so i instead of like a you know with in person you would do um like an initial evaluation you know an hour or whatever um with my virtual coaching our assessment is actually a week long so it's almost like as if it was the first week of training um but it's designed to be it's pretty um like standardized but then you know Someone is struggling with something specific, I'll add in like a different test. But you know, we're just gonna we're testing like you know the barbell movements or like you know certain uh the like the big global body movements as well as like active range of motion, um, just to kind of see see like where their limitations might be. And then also, I'll have their subjective obviously, so it's sort of this like puzzle. And then from that, that week long assessment where they kind of like tell me how things are feeling, I can also see like on video that they send to me, like what might be going on. Um, and then they're subjective to basically from there, that's how I design their programming. And then from there, it's kind of just like a, you know, we, we establish a program and then they go through it. And then they kind of that first week is sometimes a little bit like, tinkering around because you know maybe I initially thought something was going to be really good for them and it just isn't clicking or maybe it was not feeling really good and like there's nothing I can do to change their form so we'll just change the variation you know it's always like a little bit of like touch and go at the at the start but that's what's great about it is because if you have like your that's what's nice about being able to like have a you know it's like almost like an HEP like the homework that you're given at physical therapy but instead of like okay do your homework. And then hopefully you do it correctly. I'm not going to know because I'm not going to be with you. Um, They can actually like send a video and I can tell them like, Hey, fix this. I'll send them a video back a lot of the time and then be like, no, this is what you're doing. Try it this way or whatever. Um, And that way you're kind of just like continuously talking. Like it's not like 24 seven, obviously. Um, But that's, what's kind of nice about it is that, you know, you can see bigger changes because you're manipulating more of their training and you're touching, touching with them like multiple times a week versus just like, seeing them once a week and then not for another week or, or whatever. Um, and then, you know, who knows what else they're doing for their exercise. If you're their, their strength coach and you're, you're training them for everything. Like sometimes people don't realize like maybe something that they're doing is erasing every benefit they've had from their PT because they don't understand that it's, they don't understand the relationship. Versus if you're controlling everything in their training, you can really like modify things, um, and start to see results. So Yeah, that's what I think is really cool about it. Um, And I also, I do have, like, I do also do live sessions with people virtually, you know, obviously with time, it can get a little bit sticky, but if that's ever necessary, like we'll do like an actual session where I'm like live coaching them through things. Because if they just, some people will do that with new blocks, um, like new training blocks because they they really want to be able to like get that live feedback. Um, But for the most part, like that asynchronous really works for a lot of people you know and I mean you have to be has to be the type of person that's, that's willing to like do the work um so it doesn't it wouldn't work for like everyone but I don't think the people who aren't willing to do the work wouldn't even like seek out my coaching so usually wind up with really often fine it's been really fun um I never would have imagined I'd be doing this <laughs> ever no. but yeah I guess I, I mean I was setting myself up during school but I didn't realize I was
0: So Yeah, yeah. And you've absolutely crushed the game with your online programs and just the overall impact you're having on the fitness therapy rehab community in general, Megan. And I love the approach that you use to an asynchronous type of uh, training. First off, the week long assessment is amazing. Like that, that needs snaps that needs all the praise in the world. Because as we mentioned earlier, you can't get everything in one session. Um, I, it's become a pet peeve of mine. There's a lot of individuals out there who basically use their eval as like a sales pitch. And I don't think you should really have to sell yourself to anyone. Um, I think people are going to want to come and work with you if you do a great job and you over deliver and, you know, a week long assessment is completely unheard of. So the fact that you actually take the time to look into these things, and then build a program off of them instead of just looking at them and then saying, yeah, you need strength and conditioning, but not actually individualizing it to them. uh, That's incredibly powerful and impactful and taking it a step further, the way you incorporate the videos is absolute genius. And I'm sitting here asking myself why I didn't think about including that from a rehab standpoint, because there's a lot of people I work with day after day after day, but I'm lucky to see them twice a week. It'd be really cool if I had video of them doing their exercises when they're not in PT, or maybe if they had exercises uh, recorded like that. And then if they do get injured, I have a baseline to, you know, view and assess of how they move before their injury. So now we know what we have to get back to, or maybe, maybe there's something beforehand that could have contributed to that. And we missed it. People make mistakes. Well, now we can kind of go back and review and kind of dig in a little bit deeper. And the more information like that you have, the more effective you're going to be as opposed to just kind of guessing at things.
1: Right. Yeah, no, totally. And I appreciate that. I um, <clears throat> It definitely evolved for me. Like since when I first started, like all I did was like it was like a live like 30 minute like just assessment. I would watch them move like same similar movements to what I have like in the online assessment but not as as many like strength movements which I think is so so important um and then it's actually I have to give credit where credit's due my I have a business coach his name is Ray Gorman he is also a DPT, and he actually all that he does now is coaches DPTs how to do like basically how to do things online so when I started working with him I was already doing a lot of the things like on my own but he's really helped me just like sort of he's honestly helped me a ton and being able to like get, realize that I can do this. Like this can be what I do like online full time. So have to give credit where credit is due because the online assessment is totally all right. Um, but I'm definitely never going back. Um, and it's cool because I, you know, he gave me a, the idea for the online assessment. That, you know, there's certain things that I think are really important that I will put in my own. So, and it's cool. Cause you're already using the app. That way the person can also get used to using it. Um, and, um, you know, sending form videos and things like that. So yeah, it's been really cool. It's cool to see to see it grow. And I'm really glad that I started working with Train Heroic um, because I kind of randomly started working with them uh, a while back. And then uh, they have like the ability to do like the subscription model and like sell like programs that are pre-written as well. So it's just allowed me to, to reach more people because obviously I can't work with everybody one-on-one, but a lot of people don't need, you know, they don't, they don't need that like attention one-on-one all the time. You know, if they, if they don't have any injuries or anything like that, they just need solid programming, you know, and a, and a team to help hold them accountable. So that's also super cool.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think you're up to 3.0 of form and function now on that note. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I actually, so that, I don't know. I mean, I might do a home version of the form and function program, but I've shifted into the subscription um, which that's, I just, like, didn't really know what it was initially. Since um, I've been working with them more, I've, I've realized it. But the subscription is essentially, like, it goes on forever, basically. Um, and so it's it's similar programming to the form and function programs. Like, it's also called form and function, form and function subscription. Um, but instead of just, like, buying it and then having it forever to do whatever you want, you just, you know, jump in and you can do, like, as many training blocks as you want and, like, the programming changes every six weeks. Um, I give a little bit more like I'm in the chat more with the subscription and like those because those people are like ongoing so there's a lot more like things evolved and they're all doing things at the same time so it's kind of nice to like be able to talk to the group because everyone knows what I'm talking about versus like when you buy the program and you do whatever like people might be doing different things at different times um, so it's been It's been super cool to see them grow. I never would have, like, literally just created the initial program because I was going into clinical rotations during school. And I was like, I think I'm going to be way too busy to, like, have one-on-one clients. So I'm just going to, like, here's this program. Just buy it if you want. And then, like, they were a hit. So and I feel like I look back at, like, the first and second ones, and I'm like, not to say that they're bad, because I honestly, I obviously think they're great because I made them. But I think 3.0 is definitely my favorite. And the subscription, because I just, I've evolved as a coach, you know? So, and then my ability to like write things that look better and like are easier to understand has also evolved, um, since those, those first earlier programs. So, yeah.
0: right. And I think that's a great point to hit on here as we start to wrap up to Megan is, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe someone listens to this and they say, well, Dan, you bashed, you bashed people way too much. Um, it's completely okay to be new at something, right? I'm still very new to this industry. There's still things that I do and I'm like, wow, that really sucked or I should have done it differently or I could have done that so much better. It is okay to find yourself there, but it's not okay to stay there. So if you realize there's something wrong and it's very easy to point that out in others, sometimes it's a little more difficult to look in the mirror and point it out within yourself. But if you recognize that there's a fault, do things that make it better or change it or, you know, improve yourself so that it doesn't happen again, you know, allow yourself to suck for five minutes a day and then you can learn, you can improve, you can be better. And when you get to version 3.0, instead of 1.0, you're like, wow, I actually, I I love this, you know, Mm -hmm. 1.0 was great, but 3.0 is like a whole new world. Right.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean if we're not learning that's why i think i don't know just the the number of people that you're able to work with they every every single client teaches me something so yeah you know i'll be better tomorrow than i am today hopefully
0: you're just trying to create clinician version 2.0 at the end Yeah,
1: yes that's it
0: you know speaking of that are you are you going to be like offering like a mentorship for clinicians or like a movement coaching course or anything like that for people who acting like the clinical side that want to learn from you more?
1: I, you know, it's funny you asked that. I, um, before I left my job, I was actually, I was teaching like my PTA partner, like a lot of just kettlebell movements. That's a great skill to be able to teach a client because there's so many essential like movements with kettlebells. Um, I would love to do that. I've had people talk to ask me about it before. There are some great courses out there. Like barbell rehab is a really good one. Um, PPSC is another good one. I have not taken that course yet, but I know that they're they're both like, you know, very much focused on like tying trainers and clinicians together to like teach the, the clinicians how to do like the barbell movements and then teaching trainers how to like recognize what's out of their scope but also how to modify around pain. Um but the only issues with that, that with that is that I don't think barbell movements are for everybody. Um like you don't need to do barbell movements. I think they're great to learn, but if you don't have any interest in doing it, like you don't you don't need to, you know? And I think if you're because we should be we should be like breaking down barriers we don't need to like create more you know so um but yeah I would love I would love to start doing like workshops for just like thinking like everybody thinks differently you know so and I don't I'm not like a dogmatic person like I don't only do kettlebells I don't only do barbells I don't only do like calisthenics like I try to do a little bit of everything because I think when you do multiple things you can recognize like all the commonalities and then you have more tools in your toolbox for your clients who obviously they don't they don't usually need like all the same thing. You know, everybody needs a little bit different. So
0: maybe, yeah.
1: <laughs> maybe mentorship, maybe. long-term. Be, on,
0: long be long. on the lookout for that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I have, a couple, I have a couple of things that I'm working on for this, this year. I need to make my like 2024 vision board. So <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, for people who want to keep up with all that you're going to be doing throughout 2024, where can they find you at, Megan?
1: So the best place to find me is all on Instagram um, and my website and everything um, is linked on there. So that's just, that's all I'll give you. And it's dr.megsi, M-E-G-S-I is my handle. So message me. I try very hard to respond to all messages. Um, sometimes they're hidden. So if it takes me a little bit, that is why, but I, I try to respond to everyone's messages. So if you ever have any questions, please reach out.
0: That is awesome. We will link to that in the description below. So if you didn't quite catch it, you can just check out everything that Megan is doing there. Is there anything we missed in our discussion today, Megan?
1: I think so. I I hope not. I feel like I talked a lot. I don't know if I made any sense, but.
0: (laughs) It made it made a lot of sense to me. And uh, it reaffirmed my belief that you are an absolute badass and the field needs more people like you.
1: Thank you. Same to you, Dan. Let's just conquer the world together, shall
0: we? I'm not opposed. Always <laughs> opposed. Okay. Megan.
1: Thank you. You too.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.